Well, hello, Legends. I'm Nick Stewart. This week, there's a real theme to off-air. That doesn't always happen. But we want to dial in on what compassion and empathy mean to us as Australians as core values. Every week, Tim Rubin and myself break down three big stories that we think Australians should be talking about more. And this week, they're very serious ones. There's obviously been a huge story breaking involving a very, very concerning event in Parliament House. But what is more concerning has been our Prime Minister's reaction to it, and we want to try to break that down a bit further and the language he's chosen to use around it. Sia, the Adelaide superstar, has a movie coming out called Music, and it's posed a lot of questions around what actors can and can't play and how that affects certain communities. And we end it with the story of two young children who were born in Australia but have spent the majority of their lives living in detention on Christmas Island. And our government, the government that has chosen to try to fight to keep them there. It's a really heavy one, but we hope it gives you something to think about. And we hope that you interact with us at Off Air Community, our private Facebook group. There's a strong no dickhead policy, and we absolutely love the feedback we get in there. So please sign up for that and enjoy Off Air. What is our mandate? Tim Rubin. It's super creepy to reanimate somebody's dead father for their birthday. Nick Stewart. I really leaned into trying to get radicalised by ISIS. You're listening to Off Air. I believe it's this. Are we just going into it like we're doing it? Yeah, let's talk. What's what's been happening? Do you know where I am, by the way? I'm sort of assuming Adelaide, potentially. I don't. No, I don't actually know where you are. Where in the world are you at the moment, Tim Rubin? I love how every week it's a new guessing game. I'm in Tasmania. I'm in Launceston. Oh. In Ellie's uh, parents' house. Shout out to Susan Ian for letting us live here now. Ellie hasn't been able to see her family. This is my partner for Mm. over a year because of all of the lockdowns and us living in Melbourne and Bendigo and everything, and then us being stuck in Sydney. So we finally had flights for ta- to Tasmania to come and see her family. And then as the COVID cases started creeping up, we were like, holy shit, let's get out of here. So we moved our flight forward, jumped on a plane, less than 24 hours later, borders closed yeah. um, from Tasmania. So now, once again, Nick, we live, I don't know, we live in someone else's family's home. At the start of the year, you were stuck at your family's home in Sydney. And that was the first time your partner, Ellie, had ever met your family. Yes. And you were stuck there for a few weeks until you could eventually get back to Melbourne. Just shy of two months we were there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And now, after about a month of living in Melbourne together, you had now... A month cumulatively. Over the last year, we've spent in (laughs) Melbourne... Because we're now stuck in Tasmania because of the border closures again. Now we're in Tasmania. Although we can, this isn't Victoria closing its border to Tasmania. This is Tasmania closing its border to Vic. So we can go back. And at the time of recording, uh, they just announced that the lockdown is going to end tonight. So Mm. I think it makes sense. We'll probably end up going back this weekend. But we were just like, let's play it by ear because there's no point going back to a lockdown when we're living it up in Launceston, which is really nice. It's really nice. Have you been to Tassie? I've I've actually never been down there. It's meant to be one of the most beautiful places in Australia, and it's meant to be a foodie place as well. Yeah. Um, uh, we've been to a couple of nice restaurants. We did an incredible thing. Tasmania is in that weird phase where, like, they have better stuff than they know how to market. So um, <laughs> we went to this thing called a float. It's a floating sauna. So they've built a sauna that floats like on a pontoon 
out in this lake in the bush and you sit in the sauna and it's a glass wall. And so you look out over this incredible lake. And then oh. when you get really hot, then you go and jump in the icy cold water and go back and forward. Um, but like they didn't even have like Google maps didn't know where it was. And we had to like go and ask people <laughs> in the nearest town <laughs> and they were like, Oh yeah, uh, we think it's down this way. Um, yeah. Anyway. So there's, there's beautiful stuff, but um, yeah, come, come and explore. That's my Yeah, I'll have to get down there at some point. I want to eat the cheese down there. And apparently they've got very good beef as well. My favorite thing, just as a side note this week, was did you see that Dan Andrews and Scott Morrison have both been nominated for a political leadership award this year in Australia? I, I did think that was interesting. I wonder I wonder how you qualify for those nominations. I feel like Pauline Hansen should be up for one for just shutting oh. the fuck up for 12 months. <laughs> I mean, she hasn't really done anything. All she's tried to do is ban the swastika. Of everybody to ban it, I thought that Pauline would be on the other side. I, I, <laughs> did you see, I put this on our Facebook page and I said um, on the off-air podcast community group, I said, Dan Andrews, Scott Morrison, who would you rather see win the award? Christy commented, she said, Mark McGowan for sure, hashtag Westside bitches. Um, Luke Bones wrote, as far as I know, Dan is the only politician to have a song in the top 100. If that doesn't give him the award, I don't know what does, which I think is a good point. Simone just wrote, what has ScoMo done? And I said vacation. Story number one. Tim, I think there's going to be a real pattern to the stories we talk about today, and they're going to involve compassion and where we find compassion. And this first story is still in the process of developing, but it's definitely shaken, I think, the Australian people to their core and certainly Australian politics. It involves a former Liberal Party staffer called Brittany Higgins, and she has alleged um, that was she was raped by one of her colleagues after a night out drinking about two weeks before the federal election was called, called in 2019. Now, the reason we're only finding out about this now is because the 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 entire incident was dealt with internally to the point where uh, Brittany decided that she didn't want to go ahead um, with pressing charges. She didn't feel comfortable doing that. Uh, and that was done after a lot of consideration and a lot of internal investigation, which apparently Scott Morrison, the prime minister of the country, was not privy to at all, despite the fact that this alleged rape happened in the then defense industry minister uh, and current Senator Linda Reynolds' office after a night out. They went back to Parliament House, and this occurred in Parliament House. Now, that in itself is, it, it, the, the allegation and the reason we use that word is for legal reasons, is absolutely shocking. And it's mind-blowing that this could happen. And it happens after an, a string of incidents uh, involving sex between staff members over the past three years and the Liberal Party, not exclusive to the Liberal Party, though. Well, it's more than just it's more than just sex between staff members because um, in 2019, two former Liberal staffer um, staffers came forward, females, um, saying that similar things had happened to them with mm -hmm. former colleagues. So, and this is going all the way back to to 2015. So, um, there seems like there's a really dangerous and terrible culture i i'm actually i don't want to talk about it in relation to the sex between staffers um mm. and the bonking beetroot and all of that stuff because that's a story of consenting adults but there is another story of a pattern of sexual assaults happening within the liberal uh party and and literally happening in canberra and it's terrifying Anyway, sorry to derail you while you're still no, 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 introducing please. it, but go on. You're, you are 100% right. But I think 
when you look at that terrifying pattern, an incredible pattern, I think you can go back to the Prime Minister's comments. So the Prime Minister broke his silence on the issue two days ago. And this is what becomes really concerning. And this is where the headlines have gone. This is what he had to say. Jenny and I spoke last night and she said to me, you have to think about this as a father first. What would you want to happen if it were our girls? Jenny has a way of clarifying things, always has. Thanks, Jenny, Jenny. for explaining to our Prime Minister that rape's bad. Yeah, this is where it gets really concerning. The fact that our Prime Minister, a man who spent over $100,000 on receiving empathy training, has had really? to hear from his wife that it is bad to be raped. And that's that's the biggest thing that has leapt out to people. And it's created a whole host of really interesting discussion points. Because I know that this might be slightly uh, shocking to some people, but women are also humans. Uh, and things that happen to them are bad and we should be able to understand that just as a common ground. And you shouldn't have to go to your wife and be told that rape's bad. What do you make of that, Tim? Yeah. The other thing that I've seen floating around, um, is that, uh, women don't need to exist in the context of a relationship. Um, and there's a meme that's going around and I'll uh, try and find it and share it on our Facebook page. And it's the words... Uh, she was somebody's wife, partner, mother, daughter, and then a bunch of those words are crossed out. So it now says she was someone. And I think that that's a really important framework that for some reason seems to be missed and seems to be missed. I don't want to point the finger, but so largely by that older generation, that Scott Morrison generation, the need to contextualize somebody in reference to the relationships that they are in. And what that does is, A, it minimizes somebody as a person themselves, and B, uh, that's just not the way that society works, that somebody only matters if they mean something to somebody. Does that mean that if, if you're a woman that isn't a mother or a sister, that you have less value in society? No, you, as a human being, you have a value as a human being. I think it's shocking that, I mean, I made a joke about it at the start that, that Jenny had to explain it to mm. our prime minister. I think it's shocking that those are the words that he chose. And I know that he was saying it in that, I guess, again, from his generation, it's, he's trying to contextualize it. He's not that old though, Tim. That's, it's not, he's not a baby boomer. Like he's, he is younger than our parents. I think it's, How old I, is I think you're, it, oh, he's in his mid like, mid to late forties, I believe. Scomo in his forties. Is he really? Let's let's Google this now. Let's do this right now. But hey I, Siri, I how old is Scott Morrison? Is... He's got to be. I reckon he's sixty. Okay, I found this on the web for how old is Scott Morrison. He's got a direction to sixty. Check it out. Primary, uh, no, hold on, we'll have to do it. Did, did Siri just tell you that he has an erection to 60? Yeah. He's 52 years old. Scott Morrison's 52 years old. Okay. That's a, he's 20 years older than me. And that's, and, but also further to what you were saying about language, it also denotes that a woman is someone's property. And in some way that Brittany Higgins has been abused as, as, as a piece of property, as opposed to being a human being yeah. who went out drinking with her colleagues, was taken back to the most important house in Australia and allegedly raped which is the most concerning part. Further to that, 
I think it's worth noting uh, Scott Morrison has said he wasn't aware of this until Monday this week. Yeah, I think I, from what I read, Brittany said that he was aware of it at the she time. She contests that. But the bigger issue is someone who definitely was, was Senator Linda Reynolds. She was aware of it the entire time. She has now given an unreserved apology, but I think it's really important to state her, what she said in relation to her apology. Uh, she said I haven't seen this. she thought at the time, so this is Senator Linda Reynolds. She uh-huh. said she thought at the time that she and Brown were doing everything they could to support Higgins, but she'd clearly felt unsupported at all times. My intention and my aim were to empower Brittany and let her determine the course of her own situation. Now that is in regards to Brittany Higgins, not forcing charges on anyone, which I think is the scariest part about all this. You put aside Scott Morrison, you put aside his dickhead comments. He is in, he, he has a background in marketing. He, he, he you know, he's a terrible, uh, anyway. I don't want to get Okay, whatever, whatever. Yeah. What's your point? My yeah. concerns are that Senator Linda Reynolds felt she was empowering Brittany by forcing her to make a decision as to whether she made the charges. Because that's not how you, imp- anything we have learned, and I don't know a great deal, but anything we have learned about helping people who have suffered an abusive situation, whether it's rape, domestic violence, assault, any of those things, you shouldn't isolate them and make it their decision necessarily to press charges. And imagine how bloody difficult they would have made it for her and how much they would have told her this is going to affect her career, her future, the election. Mm. Imagine if this had come out the same week that the election was called. Yeah, and and you've got to put your put yourself in her perspective, in in her shoes as well. This is somebody, I mean, I don't think you and I are particularly pro-liberal, but this is somebody who is working for the liberal government. My guess is liberal, staunch liberal family. This would have been a dream forever. And she said that when she started working there, she considered it to be her dream job. She loved every single thing about it. She felt like she had made it. So can you imagine feeling like all of a sudden you are at the helm of the party that you have looked up to for your entire life and you could ruin their chances at an election at four at three years of power. So I went into the American system for a second there. At three <laughs> at three years of power because of some that's an, an insane amount of pressure to put onto somebody. It is. And this is where I think it gets really uh really obvious that there is something insidious going on. The former director of security operations at Parliament House actually quit his job over this because he felt so terrible about the fact that his security staff allowed this to occur in the building, didn't police it correctly, and actually let them in the offices that night because they didn't have the correct clearances. So when, when you see something like that, you start to you start to go okay there's some seriously questionable stuff that's gone down and there's some serious skeletons in the closet that obviously people within the liberal party have tried very hard to hide so i'm very very happy that this has come out and i really hope out of all of this um that britney higgins can find some level of closure for the for the horrible position she's obviously been put in for the past 2 years um uh, before we moved on i did just want to jump on and quickly say uh, uh, quickly acknowledge a couple of uh, sexual assault support services. You've got 1-800-RESPECT, uh, the National Helpline. You can reach them at 1-800-737-732. Lifeline is obviously there for anyone, whether you're concerned about your friends or family, one three one 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 four. 
and obviously Beyond Blue as well, which is 1300-224-636. But I, I don't want to move on just yet. I want to take a look at this as a, as a systemic problem because I think mm. that we're getting to a point now um, where it, it is – there are not many workplaces where there have been three rapes in a number of years. And yeah. looking into some of the other uh, stories, so one woman who worked for a federal minister said another parliamentary staffer pinned her down and ripped off her underpants um, during a sitting week in Canberra. Um, a former staffer to the New South Wales Speaker said a fellow Liberal came to her house the same year and forced himself on her while masturbating. Um, both of the women say that they raised the incidents with more senior party figures but were dismissed. What do you... What do you do about this when you go, oh, okay, and, and this is something that it's come up a few times before where we've spoken about institutions, we spoke about it when we were talking about the SAS, we've spoken about it in terms of different sporting codes, where you go, okay, this is actually potentially a systemic problem. I mean, these are, all of these people, I believe, are different attackers. So mm. you have a group of men in the same workplace who are all sexually assaulting people and then an entire system that's covering it up, brushing it aside and moving forward. If you're the Liberal Party right now, what what do you do at this point? I mean, do you, just go, do you just go Crown Casino and, and just, okay, everyone's fired? What do you do? I, don't, I honestly don't know, Tim. I actually, you know, uh, I, I, I can't fathom how you recover from this, how, how the Australian public could have trust in a government, despite all the other things they've done, all the other ways we've been critical. This is a, this is an actual issue of, 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 of abusive human behavior. And as you said, it, it is, it is now at a level where you have to consider it systemic. So does, does, does Scott Morrison need to step down? Do different people need to step down? None of these things are probably going to happen. That's the saddest part is I don't know what meaningful change can actually come from this. And that's where it gets really concerning because when this is happening in the most important house in Australia, in the most important situation, in the most important career, this is what shapes our entire, our entire lives within Australia. How can you then look at them? I think it's really interesting that this has all come out two weeks, um, uh, you know, after Australia Day. Uh, and after uh, there, there are photos of Scott Morrison naming the Australian of the Year, and it was a woman who spoke up around rape mm. and rape culture in Australia, and that's where it becomes really insidious. Insidious, and you just go, well, how much of how much of everything we're meant to believe in or told to believe in is just about photo opportunities and positive PR, and that's where it gets concerning. If anyone has really strong thoughts on this, or if we've triggered anyone. Um, I, I apologize, but also I'd really love to hear your stories and your opinions within our Facebook community, uh, off air community, which is a private community that we are monitoring. Uh, and you know, we don't accept, uh, hate speech against anyone in that community. So please feel free to share your own voice. Story number two. Sears film music about a highly autistic nonverbal teenager opened this week in the United States. The film casts Sears uh, creative muse slash uh, buddy, friend, working partner, uh, 18-year-old Maddie Ziegler, who you would know from the TV show Dance Mums. Uh, that's where she rose to fame. <laughs> and she... 
I don't know that I do, Tim. <laughs> you know, I was a big fan of Dance Moms. My mum was a huge fan, and when they came to Australia, I uh, I bumped into some of them and got an autograph. Anyway, oh, Matt, you'd also know her from all of Sia's video clips. She's Chandelier, the young girl. I think, she's the big one. She's in all. Yeah, she's the young girl who does all the dancing. She was cast as the lead character. She is not autistic, and some people are very, very unhappy about it. Uh, the National Autistic Society wrote on Twitter, and I'm assuming that this is American, at Sia has got this one wrong. There are so many talented autistic out there's like Saskia, Alex, Max, and Holly, who starred in our hashtag autism TMI film. And I think that that tweet really sums things up really nicely. I think that that tells the story. There are a lot of people who are very unhappy about it and about the casting, um, but on the other side of the coin, when we're speaking about bringing in actors who we don't necessarily know and who we're referring to by first name by the National Autistic Society, it raises a real dilemma because we're speaking about a huge multi-million, actually a $16 million film. Nick, I know that you know about this story. It's been causing huge debate on our Facebook uh, group. Off the bat, where do you sit? Should Sia be allowed to cast Maddie Ziegler in her movie or should she have cast an autistic um, actor? It's a really difficult conversation, isn't it? I, I love the uh, how uh, much debate this has stirred within our podcast community. Uh, and also I jumped onto YouTube. I watched the trailer to the movie. Uh, that character is obviously a very um, uh, low-functioning autistic, as opposed to a high-functioning autistic person. They've obviously tried to cast her. And that's, again, uh, what seems to have raised or, or gotten people really emotional is they've said that this is a really harmful imaging and autism is such a wide spectrum. And it's one I don't know a great deal about. My mum has uh, worked uh, within the, within the realm of autism before. And it's one I have a lot of compassion and understanding for. I think what's interesting is that this debate is occurring in 2021 when you can look back and see a number, there was almost a, a, a time in the late 80s to early 90s, where every single uh, Golden Academy Oscar Award. winner, yeah, every single Academy Award went to someone who was um, playing some sort playing of character a with disability. I've, so I've got a yeah. list here Eddie Redman, Colin Firth, Daniel Day Lewis, Dustin Hoffman, Tom Hanks, Al Pacino, Jamie Foxx. All one yeah. Os- I have all won Oscars in the last 20 years by playing visibly disabled characters. I've gone on, there is a list of 59 actors who have been nominated for Best Actor for playing a disabled character. So we're talking about a context of an industry where this has been the norm for, call it 100 years, for the history of Mm. film essentially, and has been a strong part of the norm for the last 20 years, for uh, during, I guess, modern pop culture history. Absolutely. And, it's and, almost, it's almost, and, and when you say that, it almost makes me go, oh shit, we've really fucked this up, haven't we? Because we've been celebrating actors as if they've had to really reach to play someone disabled. Especially when you talk about um, uh, uh, Jamie Foxx and um, Al Pacino, because they were playing blind people. And, and and there's a lot of blind people out there that I'm sure could have fulfilled those roles. So uh, I believe it was Scent of a Woman, and you, you're also I'm I'm assuming referring to uh, Ray, the film about Ray Charles. I think it would be Ray. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that's where yeah, I I would tend to agree. Although I do think you can, I think you can make films and put actors in positions where they are acting out a character. But I think 
especially now, you should do that with absolute sensitivity to, to that community and with consultation to that community. And that seems to be a part I haven't seen a great deal of of Sia uh, consulting within the autistic community. It doesn't seem like she did reach out and, and get a lot of feedback from the autistic community to ensure she was doing it in a sensitive way. Have you seen anything different? I haven't seen anything different. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, because the character itself, and I, I'm in the same boat as you, I've seen the trailer and I've read a bit about the film. I haven't been able to see the film just yet. I'm actually not sure um, which cinemas have started showing it in Australia. I know that it's been reviewed by Australian newspapers and stuff, so I'm not sure what's happening with its release and with COVID, you just don't know what's going on. Oh, well, it was meant to be released in early September last year. Together, but, yeah. the, the song that came out, which was the preemptive song, for it was released in like March last year. So it's somebody been... still works in pop culture radio. <laughs> Somebody's still doing some commercial music, some workday shifts. Um, no, you're hundred percent right. Uh, so what I, what I gather from the film is that um, the main character, like I said before, uh, nonverbal high on the autism spectrum. Um, however, it cuts and the film is interspersed um, with, uh, moments where I think it seems like it's going into her head where she all of a sudden becomes incredibly explosive and expressive and as Maddie Ziegler is, it becomes a professional dancer. And mm. so the story of the film and the creative uh, outlook of the film presents a real problem because and I, I used to work in the acting industry and I actually used to teach acting at various different levels and I've worked with nonverbal autistic kids before and it's incredible to do that and there is huge benefit um, for them to get to explore those types of activities Um, and I think that there's definitely some incredible benefit to audiences to create films with those um, those actors but from my experience the things that Maddie Ziegler is doing in those cuts would be beyond the capabilities of any of the actors that fit in that realm that I've ever experienced. And probably 99% of actors in general, because she is a world-class dancer. She's one of the best dancers in the world. And this is actually something that Sia wrote, where she said, I actually tried working with a beautiful young girl who was nonverbal on the spectrum, and she found it unpleasant and stressful. That's why I cast Maddie. So I guess then it raises another question, which is, if you create this script... And the script is this story about this girl that cuts in and out of her being nonverbal um, and and uh, functioning in that certain way, and then goes to these elements that that are incredibly huge and explosive and professional dance level. If you're faced with the question, do we then not make the film at all, or do we tell the story the best that we possibly can? Which is the better of the two? I actually think there's a different route that that potentially Sia could have taken to fulfill the role that Maddie Ziegler plays in that film. Did she have to be um, a nonverbal autistic person? Cause, or cause could potentially she have the, cause I believe Sia has very openly suffered from extreme acute anxiety. That's why she sort of covered up her face mm. uh, for a number of years in her performances and things like that. Could the character have potentially had acute anxiety to the point where they couldn't really function 
it out and about and this was their expressive way. I don't know. I'm just asking. So now, but this is another thing. So now you're talking about changing the script. Yeah. But yeah. so, so but you're allowed to. It's, it's not Wind in the Willows. It's not a classic. <laughs> she made it up. Yeah. Well, I guess that's another, that raises another question then. Should we be changing uh, creative visions to suit casting abilities? So then it continues to evolve. To, uh, to yeah. evolve. Um, I think it comes back to sensitivity and engaging the community. And you're always going to piss some people off, aren't you? And if, and if overall a project uh, empowers people and helps people a- a- and creates a, a greater level of understanding that is realistic to uh, people who have autism, mm. then, that's, then that's a positive thing, right? I mean, it's hard. It's it's a really tough question, man. There's um, this has caused some great debate in our uh, Facebook group, uh, the Off Air Podcast Community, and and there's one um comment that I want to read out in full. This is gonna um, it's long-ish, so strap in. But it's from a friend of mine, Bella Maria, who is an actor, an incredible professional actor, and has been in a number of musicals, um, and professional stage productions, things like that. Um, and she is deaf, and um. So she wrote on there um, in response to, I think I had written, why is this happening now when there have been disabled characters portrayed by able-bodied actors forever? She wrote a really lovely thing. She said, at Tim Rubin, because social media is only relatively new now. Until then, disabled people were not seen. There was no way to see them. We've only just been given a voice, a platform. Only now can we actually say, hey, I'm here, use me instead. Children of a Lesser God got it right, actually cast a deaf woman. But Hollywood has a very strong idea about making money. There have been many movements to include BIPOC in Hollywood, to include uh, or BIPOC in Hollywood, to include women in Hollywood as other than sexual objects. And now finally, we're getting to listen to disabled voices. I'm extremely furious that Sia said, yeah, I want to make a film about autism, but I've made it for Maddie to do. No, that's mm-hmm. not okay. Make a film for Maddie. Great, but telling an autistic story that she knows nothing about is harmful. There are too many able-bodied people in creative roles making decisions on what disability looks like based on their small world. There was no credible autistic consultant, which is what you spoke about, so the one calling the shots on how it looked, Sia, was directing the movie probably looking at it going, Maddie, did that look authentic? Sia, checks her brain for the last time she watched Rain Man and What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Yes, perfect. We're living in a time now where people have a voice. We didn't hear about the pain that Dustin Hoffman's character caused. I remember reading one article about it. I also remember the people around me laughing at how dumb it was because Dustin did a service to them. Did he really? By taking a role away from someone who will get the only opportunity to play that role, disabled people only get cast as disabled. So if you go and give that role to an able-bodied person, what chance do they get? until we're at a point where disabled people can also be cast in roles that have nothing to do with their disability, then we should cast authentically. Few haven't had my coffee yet. It's going to be a big day. So thanks for that, Bella. What are your thoughts off the back of that? Does it change no, the I way think, that you... Well, I, I, don't, I don't think I can add a, a, any more words to that. I think it was a fantastic comment. It, it, it um, Definitely, that was a fairly consistent theme we saw through a lot of the comments on those posts. Um and the hard part is it can so often just go wrong and come across as incredibly mm. cringeworthy and, and lacking understanding. So, you know, thank you so much for sharing your voice, Bella. And um, hopefully this creates 
uh, an opportunity for CEA to reflect on it and, and potentially hopefully the industry in general to reflect on it and, and be a bit more authentic when they're tackling these issues. Because I think it's, it's you know, it, it is very, very important for people uh, who are on the autism spectrum or, or have any sort of disability to feel empowered because this should be, an, out of all industries, the arts is an industry that should support those people and, and give those people a voice that they deserve to have. Mm. Um, just before we move on, I've actually scoured the internet and found some of my favourite reviews. And regardless of whether or not the film is politically correct, some of these are great. Salon wrote, I'm an autistic and a fan, uh, sorry, I'm autistic and a fan of Sia's songs. As I watched her feature directorial debut music, I felt overwhelmed with emotion. None of them good. Chicago Sun-Times wrote, jaw-dropping train wreck. IndieWire wrote, baffling, ill-conceived. And <laughs> The Hollywood Reporter wrote, a sentimental atrocity so cringe-inducing, it should come with an advisory warning for anyone with pre-existing shoulder or back injuries. So, from I'd all... imagine... Well, that's the bigger issue, isn't it? Is, I don't know if it's going to be good. <laughs> the movie is probably going to be... Despite all this debate, the movie is probably going to be shit. I don't think yeah. that Cena is the Steinbeck or Francis Ford Coppola or... <laughs> she's not the great movie maker of our time. Well, right. actually, I, look, I want to move on. But, uh, to squeeze one last point in um when i used to teach various different creative things i used to teach comedy and things like that um and and there would be people who would go hey i've got this great idea for some material it's about suicide and Mm. i would go hey man i know you want to be the next louis ck but you can be louis ck in five years for your first stand-up comedy performance why don't we write some great comedy about cheerios and you know your bus Buying route the wrong shoes yeah something like that <laughs> and how crappy your, your dog is when he comes in and looks at you and uh, like i think for sia if this is your directorial debut it's just not the time to be tackling something so big and complex uh, i i mean i don't want to tell people what to do with their creative careers but yeah it's a big it's a big undertaking uh, you're, let, you're, let, you're always letting yourself open to the court of public opinion, aren't you? With all these things, as we've talked about it, like I believe in a free market for media and this is an example of it being corrected, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, hopefully she goes on to continue doing great things because I think that she's a great creative, but yeah, hopefully there's a learn yeah. in this. Story number three. This podcast has all been about empathy and misplaced empathy. There was probably some misplaced empathy from Sia when it came to uh, casting Maddie Ziegler as an autistic girl. Uh, there was misplaced empathy from Scott Morrison in needing his wife to tell him rape is bad. And there has been some serious misplaced empathy again from the Australian government when it comes to the poor situation of a family who has now spent over a thousand days on Christmas Island, uh, essentially because of a pissing contest between the Australian government over misplaced paperwork. So I'm not sure if you've seen very much about this, but essentially, um, there was a family uh, and their names are, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, so I apologize, but Priya and Nadas are Murugapan, and they're a Tamil family. They were living in a small community in regional Queensland called Biloela, which is a really small regional town. Uh, and essentially they stuffed up their visa paperwork. And as a result, they've been tried to, the Australian government has been trying to deport them to Sri Lanka since uh, 2018. And initially they were held in a detention center onshore they have since been placed in a detention center on Christmas Island. This has cost uh, us, the taxpayers, 
an, an exorbitant amount of money, including now up to $200,000 in legal fees alone. Just this week, the Australian government, uh, again, was blocked the opportunity from the federal courts to deport them to Sri Lanka. Unfortunately, though, also the family, uh, were, were they were counter, they were in, in the courts countering, trying to say that they should be released from detention, and that didn't happen either. So this poor family is still stuck. Now, it's worth noting that two of the kids under six years, three and five years old, have now spent the majority of their lives in detention, despite the fact they were born in Australia. I don't feel like this case has gotten anywhere near the publicity that it, it that it should. And it's because it involves a very icky subject that we as Australians don't like talking about, which is when we blatantly violate human rights. And also it involves boat people. And when I say blatantly violate human rights, that's not my words. On the 2nd of October, 2019, the United Nations Human Rights Committee said that Australia needs to end the existing situation of detention for the Sri Lankan Tamil family being held on Christmas Island and released. That was over 18 months ago, and we still haven't done anything about wow. it. Tim, were you aware of this case? Has this been floating around on your periphery? No, this has been this has been totally out of the media that I've been looking at. Um, I think that they probably why, why is it in the media this week? I, I, Only because it's it it has again. So it, it seems to raise its head about every six months, but it's only because it again has gone through the high courts and the Australian government has been told they can't deport them to Sri Lanka f- through our high courts, not the high, not the Supreme Court, but through our high courts. They've been told they can't deport them to Sri Lanka, but they've also, we've also been told the courts have ruled that we can't release them from detention yet, mm. despite the fact, and I think, well, I'll let you go, but I think it's also worth noting the Biloela community the community in which this family were living very passionately want these people to come back. They said they were extremely strong, good members of the community, adding a lot to the Biloela area. And they have been some of the most vocal supporters running a campaign called Home to Billow. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that they, uh, God, this is going to sound very callous. They picked a bad week to unfortunately um, lose their trial. <laughs> I know that sounds so awful, but, you know, there's a lot of shit going on. Like, all of Victoria is in lockdown. COVID's coming back. All of the different state governments are fighting. Um, And, like, we've we've got, like, literally our first story, um, Brittany Higgins, who was raped in Parliament. That's fighting for headline space. So... It's a tough week for the news at the moment, and and I think that that's really sad because this is a really important story. Um, and then the other thing that you you bang on with is Australia likes to sweep these kind of stories under the rug. Um, do you mind if I ask because I'm not up to speed with this story? Um, under what circumstances did they come to Australia? Do they fall under any of the categories of would a newspaper term them as boat people? No, no, they were they were legitimate refugees. My understanding is that went through that process, and then they failed to lodge some paperwork. They were they were two days late in lodging paperwork to allow them to stay in the country, uh, and essentially Peter Dutton, uh, who is a Queensland politician for the Liberal Party, uh, a lot of people know him as the man that that uh, held the knife against Scott uh, against uh, Malcolm Turnbull. He's Voldemort. He's the Voldemort yeah. of the Australian okay. political landscape, um, both by nature and um, by his by face. His face yeah. looks, he somehow has 
Yes, he's Voldemort. Okay, yep, go on. So he, uh, uh, this became a real big bugbear for him and he has been stamping his feet essentially and trying to keep these people in detention because he sees it as an affront to the Australian people that they could potentially jump some sort of queue, despite the fact that their two children, again, I want to reiterate, were born in this country. Yeah. What queue is he talking about exactly? I'm not sure. Nobody knows. No one really understands why he's pursuing this at such great legal cost. And also, it costs a lot of money to keep people in offshore detention on Christmas Island. So it's, it's, it's infuriating and it doesn't make any sense and it doesn't buy into anything that are any of the principles that I think uh, everyday Australians uphold. I think- and that's, that's evident from a small Queensland town. And small Queensland towns often don't get the best rap for being racially inclusive yeah. on a national level in this country. And for the entire town to come out and say, we want them here. They were great members of our community. Uh, it says a lot. I don't understand who is, who other than the fact that the government is trying to save their pride is actually trying to stop this or thinks that this is a good idea. Well, can you correct me if I'm wrong? So the two daughters have both been born here. They're six mm. and three. Anybody that's hung out with has a six-year-old uh, daughter, cousin, whatever. Six is a person and three mm. is a person as well. You've spent time with, you know, a baby is a baby. When you start getting to three, these are people who say things, think things, feel things. I'm sorry, babies feel things as well. But we're talking about two. I don't even, uh, to put the parents aside. We're talking about, too, by every single measurable means, Australian citizens. There mm. is nothing that these two children could do to be, on paper, more Australian. They are as Australian as you or I. And the fact that they are living in detention, by uh, at zero fault of their own, literally nothing. They have done the exact same thing that you or I did. 30 years ago, which was be born here. And then at some point, for some reason, they have been whisked out of the country. So to put the parents aside 100%, just the fact that these children are involved, I think means that this is one of the worst bungles in terms of Australian immigration and this whole stupid refugee debacle that we keep on going into. And you said before about some of the money that we've been spending. I've, I did have a quick look and I've seen we've spent $1.4 million in the last 12 months to keep them on Christmas Island. $1.4 yep. million. We could have taken those kids, put them through school, fed them, clothed them, put them through law degrees twice and we probably would have had about four hundred. We probably would have yeah. had about four hundred thousand dollars left over. So, I mean, I just think that this is absolutely embarrassing for the Australian I agree. government. I, I don't think there's a lot of ground to cover here, but I do think it's important to make people aware. Uh, we had some great interactions again uh, in the off-air community on this. Uh, Dante Bofa put in a really great comment. Uh, feel pretty average about it, especially when considering the taxpayer-funded legal fees going into keeping them there. Aaron Roan went on to say it's criminal. This is a family who was making such an amazing contribution to a central Queensland community and have now spent years in detention. It's actually horrifying and a really important point that she makes. Those two girls will carry scars for their whole lives and it makes her so sad. Uh, and then Mark James Dassault said it's shameful and pointless 
but what else do we expect from a department run by a racist former cop from Queensland? <laughs> this one's not mine, but I yeah. would recommend spending a little bit of time Googling what Peter Dutton got up to yeah. when he was in the police force involving dropping some uh, Indigenous children Gee. shoeless about 30-plus kilometres oh from where God. they lived. Hey, just another just another angle to touch on here, because you and I have both had various experiences around regional Australia thanks to our radio careers. Um, mm. Like, I was a breakfast announcer for a region called West Queensland, which is... Um, just west, you start in Townsville, but you broadcast from just west of Townsville all the way over about six tiny little towns up to Mount Isa. And those towns were packing up. There was literally a story every single week, save our pool, people are leaving, we're closing this shop, we're closing that shop. These mining towns are literally getting smaller and smaller. So the fact that we have this facade of a story that we're full, close out, close the borders, there's no space for anybody... These, I don't know, could you say it again for me? Billawila? Billawila. Billawila? I don't know yep. Billawila. I can imagine, I'm going to take a stab in the dark, that Billawila might be facing some of the same problems that so many of these other towns are facing. And if you have people who are hardworking community, community members who want to be involved, and I, I, do we know what they, what they did for a living in the town? Do we, do we know that? I believe they worked in a store. Okay. If you have people who want to work in a shop or work in a farm or do whatever and keep these towns alive, then that's something that Australia actually needs right now. So to put people in bloody detention, especially two young Australian kids, I think is just a total fuck up and it's really sad to see. Before we go to Nick Picks, I'll just leave you with the parent statement. Thank you to everyone in Australia for the support and love that they have shown us. We are very grateful. It helps us stay strong. We just want to go back to Biloela. We need our little girls to be safe. Every day they ask, when can we go home? It's heartbreaking. Nick Picks! All right, Nick Picks. This is uh, Nick Picks, our recommendations for the week, things that we've read, seen or done, and Nick's are usually underwhelming. So, Nick, would you like to take it away? Well, no, I've got my Nick Picks. Okay, you're going to tell me. I've got my Nick Picks, all right? These are always awesome albums. Uh, There's a new one out. It's called True Colours slash New Colours. And it's covers uh, of Split End's greatest songs. So uh, Split End's the Finn Brothers, great band. And it involves artists like She Had, uh, Lady Hawk, Bernard Fanning, Lime Cordial, Busby Maru, Stan Walker does a song. So essentially it's an album. Uh, the Finn Brothers have sort of done a couple of these mm. before uh, with Crowded House albums. There's He Will Have His Way and She Will Have Her Way. And they're Sounds, both awesome as well. Is it on Spotify? What's it called again? One more time. It is. It's called True Colors slash New Colors. And there's some awesome, I'm, I'm a sucker for a good cover. And there's some awesome covers on there. Uh, Bernard Fanning's I Hope I Never in particular is absolutely awesome. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've got it. Do they do true? I see your true colors. Uh, no, well, I don't think that was split ends. So why is it, it called that? Well, because that was another song they did. <laughs> it's not even on there. I'm looking at it now. I don't even. It's called I'm True Colors. True, true, true Colors was the name of an album they did. This is why the split ends. They could have been bigger if they had better marketing. Oh, don't yeah, name. No. Don't name an album after a song that that you guys didn't write. <laughs> okay. All right, I'm going to listen to this. No, this has. Uh, this this looks very good. Thank you, Nick. Um, my. Uh... <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. Good. Good. Thanks, mate. Uh, we'll move on. Uh, my my nitpick for the week is um, 
It is a very broad one, but um, whatever your favorite business podcast is, and there, there's a, a million of them out there, my favorite one is Tim Ferriss, and I've been listening to um, one at the moment. Uh, find something on Whitney Wolf Heard. Um, she is the uh, founder of Bumble. And um, this week, she actually became the youngest ever self-made female billionaire in the world, which is very exciting. And um, this, the, we're talking about real self-made billionaires, not um, anyone with the last name of Jenna Kylie or Kardashian. Mm. Yeah, because um, you didn't self-make yourself when your last name is Jenna and you inherited a TV show. Well, and, and you're not a billionaire. All of that turned out to be fake All money. of it was false, yeah. <laughs> um, I just found a little thing. Did you know that Whitney was originally a co-founder of Tinder, but after being sexually harassed and stripped of her co-founder title by her boss, she sued Tinder and she reportedly received more than a million dollars plus of stock. Um, after that, she went on to start Bumble, a dating app where women would be the ones making the first move. And th- this is what she's, she speaks about a lot. She speaks about how she felt like so much of internet culture was so much about bashing and about uh, tearing people down. And she wanted to try and create a positive um, app and a positive experience for women. Um, and on a personal note, Bumble is the app that Ellie and I both swiped right on each other on. So, uh, yeah, check her out. She's, I, I mean, she's phenomenal. She absolutely changed, changed the game. And changed your life. Changed my life. <laughs> you wouldn't be sitting in Tasmania right now if it wasn't for Whitney Wolf Heard. Thank you. This is a personal shout out. Whitney, I know you're a big fan of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know where I'd be without you. I'd be sitting alone in lockdown, uh, crying to myself in Bendigo. <clears throat> All right, should we wrap this up? Let's do it. Okay, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, if you enjoyed it, Um, jump into our Facebook group. We've mentioned it a few times throughout the podcast today. Off-air podcast community. It is a private group, so you can write whatever you want. It's not going to come up in your friends' news feeds, but we have really productive discussions about all of the topics um, that we deal with throughout the week. And if there was anything that um, put thoughts into your brain and you would love to communicate them, then um, you can do that with us and with the other people in the group. The rules are that we basically try not to be dickheads and we don't. Uh, It doesn't ever turn into a swearing match. Also, if you want to be really nice and make Nick and Mike day then um give us some stars wherever you listen to us uh we see it we get a little notification and we'll be absolutely stoked so cheers for hanging out with us and we'll catch you next week you've been listening to off air remember to like and subscribe people are entitled to their sexual proclivities